Well, thank you for joining me again for another um, message on this topic of no preaching law. I want to comment, first of all, that I, I realize that in the last episode, I probably sounded uh, kind of pretty exercised. Um, I don't mean to be grumpy, not at all. God knows that I have great joy in my heart and and delight daily in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It really is good news. Um, it, however, as a counselor, I do see a lot of the damage that um, false theology, counterfeit Christianity, uh, error, and heresy does to people's lives. It's, it's, this is no uh, mere academic study. This is something that I see firsthand. And, um, and so I do. I get a little exercised at times. I, I, I feel uh, jealous for the Lord's name and for the integrity of the gospel. I feel um, outraged for the way that false uh, theology uh, really is cruel. One of the first theology books I read 25 years ago was entitled The Cruelty of Heresy. And I know better today than I did then that that is such a good title because it is cruel. It does rob us of our joy. It does. The first thing that goes with false teaching is we lose our joy. It, it imparts, it brings fear, it brings confusion, um, it, it leaves us dismayed, and uh, and robs us of the, the righteousness, peace, and joy uh, in the Holy Spirit, which is our birthright. And so we ought to be pretty jealous for that. And and if and if one of us or some of us get a little grumpy from time to time and or sad or or even a little downcast as a result of the journey, I, I hope you can understand that. I, I, I hope you I hear my heart. Uh, so that today I want to uh, talk with you about where we've come so far and then talk with you about the the gospel itself. Um, there is a lot of um, uh, false gospels going around, and we've been talking about that. But what we've been talking about primarily is the fact that the the gospel is wholly apart from the Mosaic law, that, that the old covenant is a obsolete covenant. It has been fulfilled in Christ. Jesus fulfilled the law. So I want to read to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, a portion of, of the gospel here uh, written by Paul um, and expounded by Paul, I should say, in Corinthians. That has to do, will help you understand why it is we are not under law. Uh, I've said before that the, the way this oftentimes gets framed by traditionalists and by uh, heretics is that this is a, uh, a conflict, a dichotomy between law and lawlessness. And that's just not true. That's, to say that the gospel is about lawlessness is absurd. I mean, Paul was accused of that, wasn't he? In Romans, he, was, he recounts the fact that there were people who, in his preaching, the gospel of grace, were saying, well, why, not, why don't we just sin then that grace may just abound? And so there's, there's always this lure by people to try to uh, complicate the gospel and try to make it 
something that we have to earn so that they can feel better about themselves. And, and I think ultimately it's, 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 this, it's the flesh seeking to find a place where they can have an advantage with God. And um, whereas in the gospel doesn't leave us with any of that. So let me just begin here to uh, open up to you then the good news of the gospel of the new covenant. And that will help you understand much more on a much more positive angle why we are not under law and why the Mosaic law has no place in the conversion of the sinner or in the sanctification and the maturation of the believer. So I'm going to begin, I'm going to read a fair amount of text here, because as you've heard me already say, it's very important. One of the reasons we are so susceptible, beloved, to bad teaching is because we don't understand the text ourselves. And we haven't been taught well at times how to understand it, how to read it. It's not that we won't. It's not that we uh, are somehow uh, refusing to. It's that we're not being taught to. And so it's very important to, uh, to today for me to begin to model this for you by showing you when we look at the text in its totality, what a glorious thing it is to see the truth that sets us free. So I want to be careful as we end here today to leave you with a, a good, solid understanding of the whole counsel of God. Beginning with 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. Paul says this, Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother uh, Tim, uh, Titus there, excuse me. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death to the other, an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers 
of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadfastly at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. End quote. Now that's 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, through chapter 4, verse 6. I wanted to read the whole thing to you so that you understood that there was a contrast, first of all, that there are those who are indeed, even in Paul's day, peddling the word of God for profit, fashioning a form, a version of the gospel, 
that was contrary to the gospel that Paul was preaching, and he, he and his associates. And these people even claimed to have greater credentials than Paul. They had letters of recommendation, letters of commendation, and, and uh, credentials uh, as orators. And so uh, they, they were diminishing and um, calling into question Paul's credentials and credibility as an apostle. So Paul says, well, my competence has come from God, not from, from men. It isn't something that I was given. It's something that God gave us. And he says, by the way, you show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. So clearly, the false teachers in Corinth were men who were preaching the law, that were preaching a form of the law. They may or may not have been Judaizers. They may have been, uh, as those were in Galatia. They may have been uh, doing some kind of an amalgamation of uh, wisdom religion, Greek wisdom religion, and Judaistic uh, uh, spirituality, and including uh, the law in some respects. But whatever they were doing, it was not the gospel of the spirit of life. And so Paul is making a very clear distinction here that there are those who um, have a result in their ministry as well. That their results are in the lives of those to whom they ministered. Let me put it this way. Transformed lives is the greatest credential any preacher of the gospel can have. Transformed lives is the greatest credential any preacher of the gospel can have. That Christ would be formed in you is the greatest credential any pastor could have. And so he's not concerned about that which is written on tablets of stone. But his credentials are written on tablets of, of human hearts. But the key verse is verse 4 through 6. There verses here. Such confidence we have through Christ before God, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent and as ministers of a new covenant. Now let me just pause there. Every true preacher of the gospel is a preacher, a minister of the new covenant. Every true preacher of the gospel has been trusted, entrusted with a stewardship. And that is the proclamation of the ministry of the new covenant. Not of the letter, notice the distinction there, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, please note the contrast there. There are two different ministries occurring here in Corinth. One is of the letter, and it brings death. Paul's ministry, as a minister of the New Covenant, is of the Spirit, and the Spirit gives life. 
Now, and then he goes on to explain and elaborate upon those contrasts. And that's what we've been up to in the last three sermons, is dressing and unpacking this contrast between the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the gospel of the new covenant of the Spirit, a holy new covenant of a holy new gospel that has uh, found its fulfillment in Jesus Christ and is being played out in the lives of those who are in union with him even now. So there's two ministries happen here. And there's two ministries happening right now in the world. There's the ministry of the letter and the ministry of the Spirit. And what I want you to hear today is that if you are in Jesus Christ, you are in Jesus Christ by the virtue of the grace of God, through the gift of faith, and by the power and ministry of the Spirit. That's where you are. That's where you belong. You are in the realm of the Spirit. You are a Spirit person. Which means, by the way, you are also an eschatological person. Meaning that you don't belong to this present evil age. You don't belong to this age at all. The Old Covenant was given as a temporary measure in this present age until Christ would come. And now that he has come, he has fulfilled the law, and he has inaugurated not only the kingdom of God, but the new creation. And the coming age has been inaugurated with his resurrection and the outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost. So that we are now living out the future age, the future kingdom age in the present, though it is yet to be fully realized. We belong to the kingdom age. We belong to the coming age, not this present evil age. We have a ministry that belongs and draws its power not from this world, not from the thinking of this world, not from human wisdom, but from the power of the Spirit, the power of the eschatological Spirit of God. So then he goes on to make those contrasts again saying that the ministry that was given to Moses had a glory to it. But it was a temporary glory. And it was a glory that was um, transitory, he says. That's his word. And the ministry, however, of the Spirit in Christ is permanent. It lasts but that there's a veil over the hearts of those who don't see that truth in Christ. And only the Lord can take away that veil from their hearts. So even to this day, he says in verse 15, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So when the Spirit of God regenerates us, regeneration precedes faith. Very important to understand. 
Regeneration precedes faith. And when I say regeneration, I mean being born again, born of the Spirit. To be born again is not something we make happen. It's something that happens to us by sovereign grace through the hearing of the gospel. And so regeneration precedes saving faith. The reason you exercise saving faith in Jesus Christ was because of a prior work of God in your heart and mind. And then when you exercise saving faith and came to repentance and placed your faith in Christ, even that repentance was, was the result of a prior acceptance of God. So, repentance is preceded by God's acceptance, and regeneration is preceded, uh, precedes saving faith. In other words, your salvation is all of the Lord. Your faith is a gift of God. Your repentance is a result of God's work in your heart. And the problem with the law teaching, especially in regarding conversion, is that it's just too easy to turn our repentance into a work. So here you take a, a dead sinner and you present the law to them. They understand the law. They may feel guilty. They may feel conviction. And then they're told to repent of their sins, and they do so, and then they receive Christ, and it becomes about something they did rather than something that God has done in them and for them. So, and when, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We don't bring people into bondage. We don't bring people into terror. We don't bring people into fear. We bring people into freedom by the preaching of Christ and Him crucified. And we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So the gospel of Jesus Christ is the gospel of the new covenant in Christ. And the preaching of the gospel is the preaching not of the letter, which kills, but the Spirit, which gives life. I can't emphasize this enough. It's a glorious reality. Because not only does the gospel of the new covenant promise us the forgiveness of sins, it also promises us transformation, renewal, a new nature. It also promises us a permanent glory is at work in our hearts and minds. You know, a lot of the teaching that came out of the Reformation was very helpful. But a lot of it really was not. And part of it was is this mindset that somehow that the Christian is just a pile of dung 
who's been covered with a white blanket of fresh snow. That's how Luther described the Christian. Nothing could be further from the truth. This, this imputed righteousness that we speak of and I believe in, I believe that I am, I am made righteous by another's righteousness. I am given Christ's righteousness as a free gift so that I am declared righteous before God. But to say that the Christian is somehow um, just a pile of sinful dung over which a white blanket of Christ has been given is to fall short of the gospel. And it has nothing to do with what you just read. We just read here. Paul is saying clearly that the gospel of Jesus Christ is a transformational gospel from the inside out. If you read Ezekiel 36 and Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, and Ezekiel 36 through 24 through 27, I think it is, you will read of the new covenant where God has promised to write us law on our hearts and our minds and God has promised to place in us his spirit and to cause us to keep his laws to keep his decrees so that the righteous requirement of the law as Paul says in Romans 8 will be fulfilled in us whereas it was our nature before to be lawbreakers we are now law keepers law fulfillers and the primary aspect of that is the love of God and the love of neighbor in a walk of holiness so I wanted to just share that with you there's the contrast the question that remains then is this is the gospel that you believed when you came to Christ the apostolic gospel, the Pauline gospel that we just read? Were you led to Christ by a minister of the new covenant, of the spirit of life, the spirit that gives life? Or were you taught, or are you being taught still by those who Teach the letter of the law, which kills. Those are the two ministries that work in the world today. And I'm not talking about any particular denomination or any particular organization. This is a spiritual battle. And so what I want for you is to be able to pause and recognize what I just said in 2 Corinthians 3, 4 through 6. You might want to read that through and then read through the balance of chapter 3 and the first six verses of chapter 4 again and pray about these things. And pray that the Lord will open your mind, illuminate your mind to the realities and the glories of the new covenant. What the law people do is they don't treat the new covenant as a new covenant. They treat it as a latest administration of some overarching covenant of grace that they made up 
or they convolute it with the Old Covenant. So you're not sure half the time whether you're hearing the Old Covenant or the New Covenant. It's confusing, it's bewildering, and it leaves you without good assurance of who you are in Christ. The battle is strong, folks. The battle is hot. The last thing Satan wants you to know is who you are in Christ. The last thing Satan wants is the apostolic ministry occurring in his day and today. So we want to be careful to contend for it. So the gospel of Jesus Christ is the gospel of the new covenant. And the new covenant is the covenant of the spirit, not of the law. You've heard me say that in previous episodes. And so you, if you are in Christ, you belong to the realm of the spirit, Romans 8, 9. You do not belong to the realm of the flesh. I've heard people say before, well, I was really on in the flesh that day, and I was having a bad day, and I got all fleshly on this. No, 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 no. If you are in Christ, you belong to the realm of the spirit, and that is an absolute. You've been delivered from the domain of Satan and translated, transferred into the kingdom of his dear son by the work of the Spirit. And so you now belong to the realm of the Spirit and that no matter how you're feeling, no matter what kind of a day you're having, that is a work of God that doesn't change. It doesn't, your status as a Spirit person, a person that belongs to the realm of the Spirit under the new covenant, a new creation in Christ, Isn't that glorious? A new creation in Christ. A person whose spirit is at work in molding you in the image of Christ in thought, word, and deed. That doesn't change. You can have a bad day. You can be depressed. You can have something terrible happen in your life. But your status before God is does not change because it is something that has been accomplished on your behalf. It wasn't tied to anything you did and isn't tied to anything you do to maintain it. What's important then is that you begin to rehabituate yourself and your thinking to the new person you are. This is what um, Paul means when he talks about taking off the old self and putting on the new self. Be who you really are. Let me give you a quick example of what I mean by that, and that is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Isn't this exciting? Isn't this glorious? Isn't this good news? (laughs) 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is the portion where Paul is dealing with a case of incest within the Corinthian church. Some of you may be familiar with the story that a man is sleeping with his father's wife, apparently his stepmother, and the church was proud, just like many churches today are proud of their tolerance and acceptance of sexual 
deviancy and immorality. So the Corinthian church, too, was proud of their acceptance of this situation, apparently. And Paul asked him in verse 2, Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out your out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? For my part, even though I'm not physically present, I am with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I've already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ on the one who has been doing this. So when you are assembled, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. So Paul is dealing most severely with a very immoral situation in the church. He's exercising church discipline for a very important reason. And it's not for the reason you might think. Verse 6. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch. Now listen carefully. As you really are. Let me read that again. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. Paul is saying to them that you, this is not who you are any longer. This may be when you were pagans, when you were apart from Christ, how you lived. But it isn't in keeping any longer with who you are now in Christ. So he's calling them to put that away and to be who they truly are. Let me put it this way. Paul is not calling the Corinthians to repentance and to discipline this situation so that they can earn merit towards justification. He's telling them to put this wicked situation away because it is no longer in keeping with who they are in Jesus Christ. This is the eschatological reality that you hear me speak of from time to time. Who you are in Christ Jesus is who you really are. And who are you? You are a child of God with a new nature in whom the Spirit of God has taken up residence. You are one who is sealed for redemption. You are being progressively, daily, hourly, moment by moment, conformed into the image of His beloved Son so that you are becoming more like Jesus every day. Now, do you stumble? Yes. Do you sin? Unfortunately. And there's provision for that. John says in 1 John 2, 1, If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. And he is a propitiation for our sins and the sins for the whole world. But it's 
it's contrary now to our nature to sin, is my point. Part of what came over with the Reformation teaching as well was this notion that somehow we are simultaneously justified and sinners. We can't be both. We are justified, and we are no longer sinners by nature. That's a bad teaching. Now, that might rile some of you, <laughs> uh, especially if you're a traditionalist, especially if you've read the Book of Concord, and especially if you're Lutheran. That may rile you something terrible. But there's no gospel in that. There's no gospel in saying, well, you're, you're now justified, but you're still a vile, rotten sinner to the core. Where's the gospel in that? I understand what Luther was trying to say when he was saying that the justification that comes to us by faith in Christ is without any merit on our part whatsoever. But it has gone too far to say that we are not without a new heart. God has removed the stony heart and he's given us a heart of flesh. He has written his law in our hearts and our minds. He has given us a new nature and he causes us to keep his laws and his decrees. We are children of the Father. And while it is not yet fully realized what we shall be, we know that when we see him, that is Christ, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And what a glorious day awaits us. And everyone who has, now listen, this hope in him, in Christ, fixed on him, everyone who has this hope fixed on him, purifies themselves even as he is pure. That's 1 John 3, 1 through 3, I just quoted. So here's the joy, the righteousness, peace, and joy in the Spirit I want to share with you, and I'll conclude with this. What I want to share with you is that God has not only sent his Son into the world to be the Lamb of God, to suffer and die and make atonement for our sins, and to rise again on the third day, for our justification and to be the firstborn among the dead, the first of a new humanity, a new creation under a new covenant. And when he's ascended, he, he sent the Spirit and the day of Pentecost came, the Spirit came, the new covenant was enforced and we live in a new time now, this now and not yet time. So God has sent his Son into the world not only to save us from our sins, but to unite us with his Son, to make us like him. And that's what's happening in your life. That's the biggest thing happening in your life today. No matter what's going on with your marriage, no matter good or bad with your marriage, or good or bad in your job, good or bad in your relationship with your kids or with your health, whatever, the biggest thing happening in your life today is the good news that God has rescued you from the realm of darkness and put you into the kingdom of his son. He's caused you to be united to his son by faith, sealed you with the Holy Spirit, and God is actively at work in you at this moment, conforming you 
into the image of his own son. And one day you will see him and you will be in perfection like him. And everyone today then who grasps this, who understands this, has this hope fixed on him, purifies themselves. Not because they've been threatened by the law. Not because they're going to go to hell if they don't. Those are all things that have to do with another age. And is hell real? Yes, yes it is. <laughs> is condemnation real? Yes it is. For those outside of Christ, things are bleak. But for you, but for you who are in Christ, you have this glorious future. You're being transformed from glory to glory, Paul said in Corinthians. And the one who's doing that is the Lord, who is that spirit. Well, I have worked hard to bring you, um, in the last four episodes, the truth regarding the role of the law in your life and in the life of the sinner at conversion. I've tried to help you see that the, the law belonged to the Old Covenant. That there aren't three different forms of law. There's not ceremonial, civil, and moral. There's only one law. Paul never divided it up like that in his writings. The Bible doesn't divide it up like that. That we are not under law. We are under grace. We are, do not belong to the realm of the flesh. We now belong to the realm of the spirit. Our citizenship is in heaven. That we are new creations in Christ. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And let me end this session with that text. In 2 Corinthians 5, 16... Paul says this, So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Isn't that beautiful? You are a minister of the new covenant of the spirit of life, not of the letter, but of the spirit. And you are a minister of the, of the reconciliation. Namely this, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Verse 19. Not counting people's sins against them. Let me read that last section again. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. And so God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 
God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we so that in him we might become the righteousness of God if you are in Christ you are the righteousness of God not just a pile of sinful dung with a blanket of white snow over it you have a new nature a new heart As God's co-workers, Paul finally concludes, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Amen.